Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. I'm super pumped about today's guest. We have Alina Zola Tariva, dietitian, wellness philosopher, and marketing director at Aero Farms. In this episode, we talk about our racist food system, the future of food, mega mega cities, and how our cities are going to continue to boom, your microbiome, and why it is so important to feed yourself real whole foods. Thank you all so much for being here. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. I am so excited about today's guest. We have Alina Zola Tariva, dietitian, wellness philosopher, and marketing director, director of Aero Farms. Alina, tell us what a wellness philosopher is. Absolutely. Well, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Um, so, you know, I studied nutritional biochemistry and dietetics in, in school, and um, I'm a registered dietitian. And so I've always thought about what um, well-being truly means. Um, and instead of just thinking about just the personal perspective, like what makes me healthy? What do I need to do to be healthy? Um, I've always kind of, you know, thought about the patterns that bring everything together. So I like to think of myself as a well-being philosopher from the perspective of what is good for the human, for the individual, and then for society, and also what's good for the planet um, and how we can bring all those things together um, in, you know, our uh, in our work um, and in our recommendation as professionals and our policies, um, all of that kind of stuff. Alina and I first connected when I invited her to be a guest expert lecturer in the Certificate in Mindfulness and Wellbeing Strategy, my signature business coaching and training program. And Alina gave us an incredible training on the future of food. Can you tell us a little bit more about that or even how your path really wound up at Aero Farms? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was such a fun, um, a fun opportunity. So, so thank you for that. Um, well, you know, I've always been obsessed with nutrition and nutrition science. I was a bit of a nerd in, in high school. Um, and I read every nutrition textbook and watched everything from Andrew Weil and um, all the other kind of like naturopathic voices at the time. Um, and then I ended up going to college um, to study nutritional sciences and do research in nutrition science. Um, and I had a bit of an unconventional path because, you know, I, I, I really wanted, I really wanted to go to medical school and wanted to be a physician. Um, but everything that I was reading and studying was showing me and pointing to the fact that food is medicine and food is uh, an incredible basis for vibrant health for everyone. And yet um, there was, I had no experiences um, of ever going to a doctor um, and saying, Hey, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. And them asked me, well, what did you eat? Um, what are you eating? How, how is your diet? How is your lifestyle? How are you sleeping? So these kinds of like basics that I, that I was learning about and reading about were I, I wasn't seeing um, implemented in, in the healthcare system. And I come from a family of doctors. My, I was actually born in Belarus and um, uh, almost all of my grandparents, aunts, uncles, even my sister were all physicians. And in our culture, 
you know, food and medicine are, go hand in hand. Um, there are herbal remedies, natural remedies that that are kind of um, introduced uh, with food as as uh, ways to heal. Um, and and so I, I grew up with that. I was studying that. I was reading that, and I just wasn't seeing that in um, you know in in front of me. So I got really really interested when I was in college um, in in food as medicine and in preventative healthcare. Um, but even at a, the kind of institution that I went to, and I went to Cornell, and I thought, you know, I, I, I was going to, I was getting an elite education, but I was really um, disappointed um, with with the gaps in my in my formal education. So you would think that at such a world class institution where I was studying nutrition science, with some of the best nutrition professors in the world that were sitting on the dietary guidelines boards and making the guidelines for our country um, and internationally for what people should be eating. Um, and yet I never learned about the connection between food, agriculture, sustainability, or social equity, and nothing was adding up. So I became super, super disheartened and decided not to go to medical school. And I got my RD, I became a dietitian. And then from there, my path has just been in trying to figure out how to um, help provide healthy food, healthy food education, um, and healthy food access to as many people as possible. So I kind of started there and then zoom forward, I don't know, 10 years later, um, I, I fell, I've always been really interested in transformational technologies and um, in the relationship between ancient wisdom and kind of like, you know, uh, what we've always known about mother earth and, um, food and natural healing, and then the future, this kind of like highly technological, digitized, data-driven, AI-driven future that we're going towards and kind of bringing those two pieces together. And five years ago, um, I had been working in a sustainability and nutrition uh, consulting company in, in New York City. And um, I came upon a company called Aero Farms, which is where I'm, I currently am. And at the time, it was a small experimental farm in the middle of Newark, New Jersey, where they were growing leafy green vegetables indoors in the middle of a city with no sun and no soil, very little water, and trying to figure out how to bring fresh, healthy food to cities all year round um, in, in a way that was better for the environment and in a way that was um, uh, gave access to food to people in cities. Um, and a really cool statistic um, that, that I learned at the time was that, you know, to, in about in, in the year 2050, there are going to be about 10 billion people on the planet, 10 billion with a B. And 70% of those people, of us, are going to be living in cities, big mega cities like New York City, like San Francisco, right? Mega, mega cities. So I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. So if, if if, if most of us are going to be living in cities, we need these cities to be, to, to provide us with all the stuff that we need to, to live in a healthful way, right? That's, that's a lot of food that we're going to need. That's a lot of fresh water that we're going to need. That's a lot of energy that we're going to need. And the way that we're going, um, we're going to need a lot more food. Um, and that food's going to need to be grown as close as possible to where we're living. So I became super interested in urban agriculture and vertical farming and figuring out how to bring food closer to the mouths. And so, yeah, since then I've been working with Aero Farms and, and, and Zoom Forward today. At the time we were about 12, 13 people. Now we're 
um, close to 200 people. Wow. Um, yeah. And um, finished up our series E-Raise and we're currently one of the largest, we're the largest vertical farming company of its kind. So it's been a really, a really wild ride. So I kind of, um, I don't know if I've just said a lot, but I mean, my whole, my, 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 my thesis here, or my, my point is, is that um, food, health, well-being is a very, very complex topic. And the you know, space that I'm most interested in today is how do we really build technologies and systems that help us for the next, that help us have access to fresh, healthy, um, responsibly grown food in a way that is good for us, good for the planet, um, and is able to support this like booming population um, all over the world. So that's really what I'm most interested in um, being a part of today. Wow, I'm interested in that too. That's so fascinating. And <laughs> yes, you can even see it now how these mega cities, I'm just looking at Chicago and how we keep growing outward and outward and outward. And even where I live in the city at Chicago and Milwaukee, that used to be not the city. And now it's like very mm -hmm. much so like in the heart of the city. So everything you're saying deeply resonates. And I know you and I were talking a lot about this even before the call. It's coronavirus is here. We're having all these social justice, really important conversations. And I want to hear a little bit more about the future of food or even food today and how this relates to social justice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Social justice and, and public health, for Absolutely. sure. It's all very, very connected. So because this is such a big topic, why don't I step back for a second and we can just maybe talk about some of the some of the some of the basics about kind of like the food supply chain and kind of where we are today. So the first the first point is that you know everything that we're experiencing when it comes to our pu public health and our public health crisis, um, especially chronic disease, um, can be traced back to what we're eating. Um, not just what we're eating, but how, where, where that food is coming from, how that food is being processed, how that food is being delivered. Um, that's kind of the, the, the first part. The bottom line is that everything, the way we grow our food, the way that food is processed, the way that food is transported, where that food is available is directly linked to disease and to disease prevention in this country and around the world. So, and on, in addition to diseases, disease prevention, it's also linked directly to the health of the planet. So as our personal health is declining and has been declining, the health of the planet has also been declining and it's all directly related. So, even, you know, with you mentioned what's going on right now with COVID-19, if you like look at the news today and you look at some of the headlines today, we're seeing how ineffective our food supply chain has become. Like you're seeing millions of chickens being euthanized. You're seeing onions, potatoes, like all of this harvest going back, going just like into the trash. Um, millions of gallons of dumped milk fresh vegetables, all of that stuff. Um, and at the same time, you're also seeing all of these insane lines at food banks of people that need fresh food and they're not getting fresh food. 
Um, and so it's the, the scary part is, is that I think the, the number is something like close to 40 million Americans are now unemployed. And then on top of all that, one out of six Americans, um, even before COVID-19, have, are experiencing food insecurity. So they do not have access to enough fresh, healthy food. So we're living in a very, very ineffective and um, difficult food supply chain situation where we have food. It's not getting to where it needs to get. A lot of people are food insecure. On top of being food insecure, um, in addition, these are the same communities that are effect, that are experiencing higher than average rates of preventable and reversible diseases that are directly linked to diet. So we're talking about overweight and obesity. We're talking about type two diabetes. We're talking about heart disease, metabolic syndrome, etc. So you have higher than ever rates of this, and then in addition to all of this, we have you know the pressures of climate change. And the way that we're growing, distributing, and processing this food that is causing all this illness is also the reason why our planet is suffering. So it's just really interesting because, like, in my in our grandparents' generations, definitely in my grandparents' generation, um, things were very different. You know, we had much more local and regional supply chains. Um, so you knew your milkman, you knew where your eggs were coming from, you probably grew some of your own fruits and vegetables. You probably had a garden um, where you supplemented uh, some, some of your own fresh, fresh food. Um, and our food system today doesn't look like that at all. So we have centralized um, production of commodities versus regional and local food systems. Um, and we definitely don't have enough regenerative farming practices um, we just have like highly subsidized um, commodity farming um, that is contributing very heavily to um, everything that that we just talked about. So um, that's a little bit of, of of that dynamic. And you know, with with COVID nineteen, with what's happening with with that, it it became very very clear that those who are at most risk um, are people with underlying health conditions, and a lot of those underlying health conditions can be um, improved or even in some cases reversed through, um, you know, through food as medicine, through, through diet and lifestyle and interventions um, that are in many cases much better than pharmaceutical interventions. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of that. And that's why I was so frustrated in college because I was like, I don't understand. I was like, well, if you just put someone on a on a, on a, on a special diet or on a, on some medical nutrition therapy, they, they can literally reverse disease, but it's not happening. It's not happening. And it's not happening for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I think we've definitely exposed, um, we've definitely exposed some of that in this crisis. And so I'm really hoping that this will help catalyze, um, a shift in, um, in policy and in, um, in, in, um, uh, our food system. Uh, moving forward. One of my Did I favorite. answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. And we'll dive into the, the social justice as well. And I think one of my favorite facts that I always, that I'm just constantly reminded by is there are more bacteria and healthful nutrients in one spoonful of high quality soil than there are mm -hmm. people on this earth. 
Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's just so mind boggling. We're just so, we're very detached. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, oh, we're just starting, we're, you know, microbiome is such a buzzword, such a buzzword now. Um, but, and we're just, just, just starting to scratch the surface of what the microbiome is and the extent of its impact on our, um, our health and on disease, disease prevention, but also um, disease progression. Um, but yeah, I mean, something, one of the statistics that we shared at your last, um, at your workshop was that, you know, for every one human cell we have, we have three bacterial cells and then, and then some, right? We have fungi, we have all sorts of other things um, living with us. And so we are just like giant, uh, walking sacks of we're we're just a giant family of bacteria um we're like a, a we're like a we're like the bacteria's halloween costume basically so <laughs> i think when we need to consider um when we're when we're eating and and and, and um, as we're living um how whether we're promoting a healthy um microbiome a healthy a healthy environment for our good quote-unquote bacteria to to uh, to thrive or whether we're creating a, an environment where we're promoting, um, bacteria that can really do us a lot of harm, um, instead. So yeah, very important. And, um, you know, your, your microbiome is very deeply involved in your immune response and in your health of your immune system and in your metabolism and in your mood, um, and in everything. So, um, we have to make sure that we're eating for that microbiome, which is, yeah, or food that was grown responsibly. That where do we get where do we get our microbiome from? Most of it is actually built in our early years when we're babies. Um, from you know that's really when the majority of it of of, of that of that of, of those um, symbiotic bacteria um, uh, colonize our bodies. But we're constantly eating stuff, right? So um, that all of those passive bacteria are also really helpful and important. So um, yeah, the food that we eat every single day will impact the health of our microbiome for sure. Whenever I meet somebody now, and I mean, this does not have happen often, but whenever I meet somebody who's like, quote unquote, like crazy or just very argumentative or just somebody who's like very hard to be around, I just always say, oh, they have an unhealthy microbiome or like their gut is not in check today. Like, I just yeah. think everything is the gut. Like if you are out of whack, it just means something is not at peace inside. For sure, for sure. And I mean, I can talk about this probably nonstop, um, the gut for sure. But even just in general, think about how like if you've eaten food that doesn't make you feel good, um, how you feel for the rest of the day or how you feel the next day, right? You just physically feeling comfortable or uncomfortable emotionally, um, the way that it affects your hormones, um, you know, it really makes a difference. So if you think about many, many years of um, having a, a diet or a lifestyle that is not conducive to your well-being, what that really does to someone, um, it's mind-blowing. And then the exciting part is when when you're able to make a switch, how powerful that is, you know, and how you really do, you really are what you eat and you really can become a much better version of yourself just by, you know, changing your diet and so, help the planet. Absolutely. <laughs> So for everyone who is listening right now, what are some things they can do today? 
oh my gosh, so many, so many, so many, so many things. Um, so in terms of in terms of eating, um, so there's there's a great report that I really encourage everyone to go out and read after this um, about uh, you know about what healthy eating means not just for you as a as an individual because we're, we are all completely different so i can't sit here and say you know what's good for you is good for every single individual on this earth we are all different we have different sensitivities we have different dna we have different we live in different conditions uh, different stress levels all sorts of things um and so there is no one size fits all but generally speaking what's good for you tends to also be good for the community and tends to also be good for the planet. So I would really encourage everyone to go out and read something called the Eat Lancet Report. Um, and that is a report that was written by a consortium of scientists um, and public health officials from around the world. And it's all about how do we do best by our bodies um, and by the planet. So what should we be eating to minimize carbon emissions, um, minimize um, water pollution, soil contamination. Um, what does a diet look like that's good for, for both? Because it doesn't have to be either or. And not only does it not have to be either or, it's, it's obvious that, it, that, that that nexus is real and, um, and, and, and we, should, you know, we should really think about following that. Um, so what can we do? So the first thing that I would say, and, and this is what the report supports, is try to, you know, all of us that are that have access to farmers markets and have access to supermarkets where we can buy food and where we know where that comes from, um, we're extremely lucky and we're extremely privileged. So um, if you can, um, try to eat whole foods that are as close to the source as possible. So that means instead of eating a potato chip, eat a potato, a whole potato with the skin. Um, instead of eating, drinking apple juice, eat an apple. So try to eat foods that are as close to their source as possible. The reason for that is just to give you um, a comparison, like 100 calories of apple juice versus 100 calories of an apple do very different things for your body. So when you have the whole food, you have the fiber, in the food. You have all of the vitamins and minerals in that food. Um, you have water content in that food. You have when you when you strip, when you process food and you strip it away of certain things, then you're not getting like the most bang for your buck of that product. So that's the first, that's the first um, piece of advice that I would give. Um, the second thing is I would do my best to reduce my food miles as much as possible. So Try to buy food that is as local, um, as close to the source that it was grown as possible. So typically, if you're buying food that's more local, you're getting, first of all, you can talk to the farmer, you can find out how they're growing it, you can kind of educate yourself and feel more of that connection. Typically, uh, small farmers have better farming practices. So you'll probably be getting more of that microbiome that we talked about, which is really, really good for us. Um, you'll also typically be getting better nutrition because the second you harvest a fresh product, it starts to lose nutritional content, not across the board, not all nutrients, but certain nutrients like vitamin C um, start to just plummet once you harvest a product. So you really want to make sure you're eating it as close to that harvest as possible. Vitamin C is one of those nutrients that 
now is being talked about in the COVID um, pandemic um, because we need to fortify our bodies and high serum levels of vitamin C. Actually, intravenous vitamin C is one of the um, one of the uh, interventions that's being used currently. Um, but eating vitamin C just for overall health and maintenance of a healthy metabolism is really, really important. Um, and that's found in fresh fruit. That's found in fruits, vegetables, berries, dark leafy greens, you name it. And once you harvest them, all that starts to go down. So um, you wanna have it as close as possible. Also, the more lo uh, local food means less carbon emissions, right? It's not being trucked from God knows where. So, you know, I work in leafy greens, right? So we grow arugulas and kales and all sorts of uh, delicious dark leafy greens. In the United States, if you go to the supermarket and you pick up a lettuce, 90% chance it's from California or it's from Arizona and it's being trucked all over the country. And, you know, we, we've had tremendous um, advances in our, you know, um, harvesting and, and, and um, cold chain um, technologies in the last couple of years. But still, by the time you eat that product, it could be like three weeks old. So at that point, it doesn't really taste like anything. And it also like, doesn't last that long, you end up throwing 50% of it away. And it hardly has any vitamin C left in it. So you're really kind of eating paper. So you really want to make sure that if you're buying fresh food, you're buying it, if you can, from a, as local of a source as possible, within, within reason. It's also really interesting, um, food waste. Food waste is a huge, 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 huge topic. And in the leafy greens industry, um, the statistic today, as mind blowing as it is, is 76%. So 76% of leafy greens go into the trash across the supply chain because they're so perishable and because they're so difficult to transport. And because we as consumers um, living in affluent Western countries, throw them away. Like think about last time you had a box of kale or a you know, container of spinach. Did you eat the whole thing? How many, how many times have you eaten the whole thing? How many times have you thrown away? It's just an honest conversation we need to start having with ourselves. Um, we waste a lot of food and all that food ends up in landfill. It doesn't end up in compost. It ends up in landfill. And what happens in the landfill? In the landfill, when, as that food is breaking down, it turns into methane emissions. And methane emissions are much worse greenhouse gas than carbon emissions. So we're growing food, putting in all these resources into growing food, all this water, fresh water into growing food. Then we're not eating 76% of it. It's crazy. So just like as a human living on this planet, there is a better way. It's called buying local or growing your own food. If you can grow your own food, grow, grow it. Or support local because that definitely means waste. Um, if you live in New York City where I live, there's there's some amazing like CSA companies, like local roots that you can subscribe to or um, just go to the farmer's market, go to the green market and, you know, and you can support local farmers and eat healthy and get much more bang for your buck. Um, so that, that's kind of how to pick your food. OK, whole foods and as local as possible when possible. Um, but in terms of eating, the first thing is proteins, right? We all eat in terms of macronutrients, we've got our carbohydrates, our proteins and our fats. You want to prioritize plant-based proteins as much as possible. 
And the and plant-based proteins should really be the foundation of your protein needs. So like beans, legumes, seeds, whole grains, nuts. You can get a lot of that locally and regionally too. You can support local farmers that grow those things as well when possible. Or you can just buy a lot of stuff in bulk. First of all, it's affordable. Okay, beans, we know beans are super hot in the COVID epidemic, right? People were loading up on beans and that's a good thing. Beans are an incredible, incredible, magical food. They're super cheap, they're super versatile, and they're, they're, they're really, really good for the planet um, instead of animal proteins. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and I personally do not eat meat and I have not eaten it for 15 years. I've chosen that path personally, um, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, and tell anyone whether they should eat meat or should not eat meat. If you do choose meat, um, I would prioritize, and again, if you have the ability and the privilege to be able to make this decision, um, I would choose meat that is from smaller, medium-sized local farms you can, that you can meet at the farmer's market or in certain natural food stores and try to use the whole animal if possible. Um, you know, some of, some of the issues also with meat production is only certain cuts are prioritized and a lot goes to waste. Um, in that, so like, I don't really eat meat, so I don't know, but let's the, the ribeye, you know, the things, the other things just go in the trash. Um, but you know, animal proteins, if you think about it, if you talk to your grandparents and great grandparents, um, if they're still here with us, with you, they'll say, you know, they really ate meat on high holidays. They, you know, they, they didn't eat meat every day, three times a day. They ate meat once in a while. It was an occasional food. It was a special, you know, it was a special food. They really prioritized other, other, other uh, sources of protein. So um, I think that's a really powerful practice to be able to think about meat as a side dish or a uh, an occasional food, and to really prioritize getting the best possible cut of meat that you can for that special occasion, um, and on, in your regular day to day, just to prioritize plant based proteins. Um, it, it is better for you. <laughs> um, and it's, it's much, much better for the planet. One of the biggest um, uh, reasons for deforestation is animal agriculture, factory farming uh, around the world. And it's devastating for the planet. Um, and it's, it's also not great for us because when animals are not treated well, and when animals are not fed well, not allowed to graze, and not allowed uh, to live um, in a respectful way, um, then the quality of their protein, the quality of their meat is, is significantly worse. So, um, and on top of that, they're pumped with antibiotics, hormones, et cetera. And then we end up eating that, right? So if you really want to eat healthy food from a healthy animal, then it's important to do that research and figure out who are those farmers that have you know, grazing animals that are happy, um, that are grass fed, allowed to graze, grass finished, um, et cetera. I think that's really, really, really important. Um, yeah. And I think the last thing I would say is just like cook more, get more involved in your food. I think one of the more exciting um, things about what's going on right now with it's unfortunate that we all have to shelter in place right now. And it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult, um, difficult time that we're in together but so many people that i know have been cooking more um and, and staying learning at home how more. to cook yeah and learning how to cook and 
I know before we were running around like headless chickens, ordering out all the time and never really involved in what we're cooking or what we're eating. And now for the first time, people are, are cooking, you know, they're home and they're cooking and they're trying. And that is the single most powerful thing that you can do to reestablish a relationship with, with your food and with yourself, because then you actually on a, on a, on, on an intellectual level, but also kind of, you can say on like a spiritual level, reconnect with, you know, what food really is and that whole journey that it made from the seedling or from the chick all the way to, to you. Um, and I think the reason why we're kind of in the predicament that we're in from a spiritual perspective is because we're completely disconnected from all of that. Um, and that really needs to change if we want to have um, a respectful and beautiful future for, for all of us. I love this. I mean, it's beautiful. It's the future of food. It's conversations that we really need to have. Uh, summer's here. It's a great time to grow your herbs in a little pot by your windowsill. And these are practices that we definitely need to start implementing today. Mm -hmm. I love the, I love, I forgot who posted this on social media, but it says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the next best time is right now. Completely. And that just feels so true. Mm -hmm, completely. And I think it's so interesting because COVID-19 has created such an interest in gardening and in, and in farming and they're, it's booming. It's like, it's incredible. Um, I actually have a podcast called Seeds and the City, which is all about um, urban farming in New York City. And it's just incredible. People have been just diving headfirst into growing their own food, whether they're in a city apartment and they're just doing, doing it on their fire escape and planting herbs and regrowing scallions and doing all that kind of stuff. Or if they have a little plot of land, it's just, it's, it's, it's like a, a national phenomenon. So I think from that perspective, it's really, really powerful. And I really hope that, you know, once things open up a little bit, this stays, this trend becomes permanent um, for, you know, I, I think the single most powerful thing that you can do is grow and cook your own food when it comes mm -hmm. to your health and your, and your wellness um, for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, something that you asked earlier is about, um, the social, um, issues and the social inequities, um, present in our food system. And I will say, this is not a topic that I am an expert in. Um, but what I know for sure, um, is that the, our food system is racist and our, the communities that are most vulnerable, um, are communities of color primarily. Um, and structurally, unfortunately, the way that, that our, um, nation and our has, has developed, it has created a system where, um, many, many people do not have access to fresh food, to supermarkets within walking distance um, of their homes, um, to affordable food. And that's really created a lot of these kind of health and wellness disparities that we talked a little bit about earlier. And that is a structural issue that exists and that needs to be remedied. And I think 
there's a couple of people that I deeply admire um, that are experts on this topic um, that I would highly encourage um, anyone who's interested in, you know, in diving into these issues to follow and to read. Um, and one of those women is, um, her name is Leah Penniman. Um, and she wrote a book called um, Farming While Black, um, which I'm currently reading right now. Um, and it's really all about this system. Um, and uh, it, 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 it explores the history of land owning. Um, and it's really interesting, something that she cites is that in, um, even in 1920, it, I think it's like 15% or 14% um, of all landowning U.S. farmers were were, were black, um, and today it's less than two percent. And so there's a huge land ownership issue um, for you know for for people of color. And um, on top of that, you know, we have to understand what's going on. You know, the, a common a common term is food deserts that that's used, but that term kind of doesn't doesn't describe the issue um, at hand well enough. There's there's a term that she explains in the book called food apartheid. Um, and it's about 24 million, 24 to 30 million people in this country live under food apartheid. Wow. Um, and food apartheid means that it's a human created and perpetuated system where people who live under the system have a lot of difficulty have, getting access to healthy, safe food. Um, and this overwhelmingly effect, affects black and brown people. Um, and that again, further contributes to health disparities, to the obesity epidemic, the burden of chronic disease. And so it's a systemic issue. So it's really, really hard to talk about just like, what should I eat? Where should I get it? You know, it's a, there, there is so much to unpack um, that I really challenge um, all of us to, to learn about. So that moving forward, as we um, as we go into the 2020s and beyond, we can all be a part of the of, of the solution. And that solution is is basically change, <laughs> um, re reimagining our entire food system from from the bottom up. We Elena, have a lot. Thank of work you to so do. much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is not a topic I'm well versed in, so I I'm just digesting and eating it all up. Like it's very very fascinating. If you had all the women in the world listening to your words, what is some wisdom you would want to share with them? I would say that we as women are in, we are living in the best time in human history for women, first of all. It's a, you know, I, I bought. I recently watched the movie the what is it the courtesan or something or dangerous love dangerous beauty or something like that about the life of courtesans and um, I was just so sh not shocked but I was so reminded of how privileged we are today being able to you know chart our destinies and finally have our voices be heard and finally be able to walk in the world without being somebody's property or somebody's, you know, um, at the will and mercy of someone. And again, not everyone, not all of us, some of us, right? The ones probably listening to this podcast and the ones who are, um, who, who are able to, to, um, uh, to engage in, in these kinds of topics and discussions. 
but it's a beautiful time to be a woman and it's a powerful time to be a woman. And as women, we have the gift of empathy and compassion um, and the fire in our bellies to make change that's important, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a collective. And so as this universal collective of women, um, the mother, the mothers of Mama Gaia, right? The sisters, um, I think it's our responsibility to nourish ourselves, to nourish ourselves with knowledge and to nourish ourselves with the best possible food <laughs> lifestyle that we can that we can um, have for ourselves so that we can be strong and powerful leaders in our families, in our communities and beyond because we have a lot of work to do. And I see this movement being led by women. I see this movement being led by women of color. Um, that's where the future that I see and that's the future that I'm committing to be a part of. So um, it's gonna be an exciting, 50 years wow. for us on this yeah. planet, for sure. It's a, there's a lot to do. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's a very exciting time to be alive. Alina, how can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, personally. I'm at the Alina Feed, T-H-E-A-L-I-N-A-F-E-E-D. If you're interested in learning more about the food system in New York City, you can follow my podcast, Seeds and the City. Um, that's like sex in the city, but seeds in the city. <laughs> um, if you're interested in vertical farming um, and learning more about agriculture technology um, and futuristic ways to grow food, you can follow Aero Farms, A-E-R-O-F-A-R-M-S. Um, yeah, DM me. We, we can chat. Um, there's, yeah, I'm I would love to hear from, from anyone who's interested in these topics. Alina, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Feel free to comment below what resonated with you, what's on your heart. As always with podcasts, we need high rating subscribers and comments to receive good standing and to continue sharing wise words with women around the globe. So please comment, subscribe, rate us. We love hearing from you. Big love and looking forward to chatting again next week.